The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, Jesus describes the the role or the place of a follower of this this Messiah of, of Christ as being one who must take up their cross. Um, and you know, uh, schools and and oftentimes companies will have a mascot or a logo or a symbol, and usually you pick things that are powerful. You know, like the tigers or the bears or the lions or something majestic like an eagle. Uh, or you have a symbol that demonstrates competency, right? Um, Jesus says, my logo, my corporate identity is the cross, right? Uh, now, if you're, the, if you're a disciple, and, and you've got to put ourselves back in, in the, the 12 in their shoes. You know, they, they picture Jesus being this Messiah, this king, this rescuer, right? And Jesus starts unpacking all this cross stuff. They're probably thinking, what in the world did we sign up for? Um, but that is exactly what um, what Jesus is about. Jesus adopts a mascot that does not strike fear in the opponent; it strikes fear in the follower. Right? So let's look and unpack a little bit what Jesus has to say about us as followers. If we are to follow Him and we are to take up our cross, what exactly does that mean? Um, well, first thing. Uh, to put this all in its context, uh, let's look at the first verse. And, and the context of this is really in, in the context of saving your soul. And as we look through this, it's really important if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying here, we understand what he's really talking about. And oftentimes this gets taught kind of this way, that, you know, people come to Christ through faith and they, they get saved from their sin. And then if you want to really be like a good Christian you will be this kind of person, right? You'll step up your game, and you'll be super serious, and, and the super serious Christians are the ones who take up their cross. They are the ones who deny themselves and who, you know, wear wool underwear, and you know, like, take, take this thing really seriously, right? But when you look at the context of what Jesus is saying here, he says if, if a person is not willing to uh, lose their life, if they, if they hang on to their life to save themselves, they will lose it. What he's talking about in this whole passage is not just uh, the path of a committed Christian. He's talking about what it means to be a follower, sa- follower who, is, who is saved. And so he's talking here about salvation. It's important to keep that in, in its context. And he starts off by saying, if, if anyone wants to come after me, in other words, I'm going to the cross. That's, that's what my kingdom and my, my, my salvation is about. I'm going to the cross. If you want to come after me, this is what it's going to look like for you. First of all, he says, you must deny yourself. Uh, if you will come after me, if you will follow me, uh, you must deny yourself. And basically, he says three things, three verbs here that are linked together. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Let's look first at the first of these, self-denial. What is that? Well, I think this is one of the most greatly misunderstood concepts in in church history and in the church, one of. Um, And, um, you know, it's the season of Lent. 
And uh, this Lent, Lent season, if you come from a Catholic or more Reformed Lutheran background where they would celebrate Lent, you may have a good uh, picture or idea of how this, this thinking gets, has gotten warped and twisted. Well, what is Lent? Well, Lent is a period of 40 days and some churches 50 days leading up to the celebration of Easter. And it's a time when, uh, when you prepare for celebrating the cross th- through a season of, of deep repentance and confession. Right? And uh, the way you do that in the Lent traditions in most churches is you, you deny yourself stuff. Now, way back in early church history, what that meant is you didn't eat any meat at all. In fact, in many churches, you didn't even eat animal products. You went totally vegan, right? So vegan is not like a modern invention, actually. The church was doing this way back. And for that 40-day period, you would eat lettuce and cucumbers and, you know, you wouldn't drink milk, you wouldn't do eggs, no cheese. You starved to death, basically, right? Um, and just think people actually do this now as a lifestyle choice. I don't, I don't even get that, right? But back then, it was something you had to do uh, to show that you were serious about repentance. So you would give things up. You would deny yourself as an act of penance. And uh, if you come from those backgrounds, especially probably the more Catholic version of it, penance means it, penance literally means a type of repentance. comes from the same word, where you confess your sin. But... The, the, the Catholic version of it is, this, this version of it is, you don't just confess by saying, well, God, you know, I know I sin. I know I'm a sinner. That's not good enough. Penance means you've got to prove you're sorry for your sin, right? So you do something to prove your contrition, your sorrow, right? So you crawl up a mountain on your hands and knees, or you, you do something hard to yourself. You deny yourself. You give up something to prove how sorry you are. Okay. Well, Lent becomes a whole season of that, of 40 days of proving how sorry you are about sin. Now, in all fairness, honestly, I think sometimes in our traditions, we take repentance and confession far too lightly. We say, oh, yeah, okay, I sin. Sorry, God. You know, let's move on, right? And maybe we don't take sin seriously enough, and we don't count what, what it costs Jesus to pay for that sin. So there's a sense in which, which perhaps we've gone way to the other extreme. But uh, this version of it capitalizes on the concept of self-denial, right? And the, the whole basis of it is you dispel, you reject, you, you, you distance yourself from anything that you like or enjoy. Now, of course, in our more evangelical modern uh, versions, we don't, um, we don't necessarily practice Lent and we don't practice penance in that form, but we, we have our own version of it, right? Our own version of self-punishment, right? When you sin, you do something wrong, you know you're a bad person. And we, we also have this form of self-denial where we say that Christianity is about not enjoying anything, right? So if you want to go to movies, if it's fun, you can't go. Not because of the movie, but because it's entertaining, right? Uh, it, therefore, it's inherently bad, right? If you like ice cream, you can't eat it. Now, if you like, say, for example, durian, I mean, if it was like durian ice cream and you hate it, well, you could eat that, right? Because you wouldn't like it. So that's okay, right? If you hate chocolate, you can eat it. But if you like chocolate, you can't. Because uh, in this version of truth, self-denial is repudiating anything you would enjoy or like or that would bring you pleasure, 
Because somehow, pleasure in itself is evil, wrong, and bad. And, and people read this, and they, they, they come with this mindset, and they read these verses where Jesus says, deny yourself, and they see Jesus as saying here, if you're a real Christian, if you're really going to follow God, then you need to not ever enjoy anything in life. Right? And some Christians have got this down to a science. You know, They never smile. Heaven forbid. You, know, you never tell a joke. You never have fun. You never enjoy anything. The pursuit of Christianity is the pursuit of a miserable life. Right? And the more miserable, the more godly you are. And, the, and it's like, you know, the, 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 the poster child for this version of Christianity is like a really sad, depressed person, right? And we, we, we would herald that as like the model Christian, somebody who's so miserable with their own life and, and has no fun and hates everything, and that's what Christianity is supposed to be because Jesus taught that. I know when I was in counseling a lot, uh, one, of, one of the biggest obstacles I had in helping people get better was overcoming this whole self-denial thing. And it's like, well, I can't enjoy myself. I can't give myself a day off. I can't do something that would take care of myself because that would be selfish and not, you know, I wouldn't be denying myself. Well, is that really what Jesus had in mind here? Is Jesus saying, if you really want to be a good Christian, you need to be super depressed or burned out or both, right? I don't think so. I don't think that's what he's saying here, right? What does he mean? Well, if the context is salvation, okay, Jesus is here talking about um, uh, saving your life. He says, if you, if you will hang on, if you will try to save your own life, if you will do things to bring salvation about for yourself, then you've lost it, right? The, the very salvation that you're trying to get through your own efforts, you will lose. But if you will lose your life for my sake, you will save it. That's the context. Um, what does that mean when we look at, at denying yourself? Well, I think Jesus is saying this. He's saying you need to repudiate, deny, reject anything in your life that is your effort to save yourself. Okay. Your man-made attempts to rescue and save yourself. Ironically, a lot of what self-denial is, is our man-made efforts to save ourselves. Right? I go without food, I fast, I suffer. Why? To prove my goodness. Right? To prove that I'm worthy of this salvation. To prove that I am a spiritual person. Ironically, that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is really teaching here. And if we uh, practice those things in our life, if we do those things to demonstrate to God our worthiness and our goodness because we're such a depressed, sad person who's never had pleasure, well, that would in itself be a self-made man's attempt, our attempt to save ourselves. And that's exactly what Jesus is, is, is speaking against. Um, He's saying we should refuse and reject any efforts of our own to save ourselves. And the, the Jews in Jesus' day were brilliant at this, right? The Pharisees were all about this. And they had all kinds of fast days and fast seasons. Uh, the typical Pharisee, if he was a real devout Pharisee, would fast two days a week. And on top of that, there would be other fasts at other seasons when they would uh, go without. And they would have long prayer sessions. And all these things were intended to be some form of suffering and self-denial to prove they were good. Right? 
Well, Jesus says, if you're going to follow, if you're going to come after me, you've got to get rid of that thinking, right? That you can be good enough to save yourself. That's what he means by self-denial. Okay, our own attempts and labors at proving our goodness to God. Right? He says, those things we need to walk away from. Because salvation is in Christ alone, right? Uh, so, so self-denial becomes my own efforts and attempts to rescue myself, to protect myself. It's the things that I'm trusting in other than Christ to save me. Um, now, why is that such a big deal? Well, clearly, uh, as we will see, Jesus calls us to trust him. And ultimately, that, that step of following, he says, if you would come after me, if you would follow me, that is in itself an act of faith or trust. It takes confidence that Jesus knows where he's going in order for us to follow him. But the truth is that if I'm trusting in myself, I don't need to trust Jesus. Anything in my life that's convinced me I don't need what he has to offer is the, thing, is the very thing I must deny and repudiate. So it can be our own wealth. Right? And a lot of people in, in, in our day and age are quite wealthy and comfortable, and life is good. And they can take care of themselves, and they, they don't need Christ. They can trust in their money to protect them. Uh, it can be our own intellect. And one of the dangers of being smart and thinking a lot is we can be proud and begin to think that we are smarter than God. I was just talking this morning with Jimmy. He was sharing that he had this conversation with somebody who thought they knew more than God did. And how frustrating that is. You ever had those conversations with people who dismiss the Bible and think God's an idiot, and clearly if they were in charge of the universe, things would be different, right? Um, our intellect can be uh, our downfall. And if that's the case, we need to become fools and reject our intelligence, right, to receive Christ's salvation. Or, of course, our own goodness. Um, we can be... Uh, pursuing a life of morality where we keep the laws and we're a clean person and we have a clean life and we can say, look, God, I'm a good person. I'm generous. I am benevolent. I help the poor. Right? And maybe you've heard people say this. They say, you know, so-and-so, they're such a good person and they're always helping people and they're giving and caring. How can God judge or condemn a person like that? And Jesus would say, well, because they're not following me. Because they are holding on to their own goodness instead of reaching out uh, and taking hold of the salvation that Christ offers. Um, all of these people feel that they don't need what Jesus has to offer. And because of that, they will not follow him. And so denying self means realizing that all of those self-efforts to save ourselves are utterly and totally inadequate. And we must reject those things. We must embrace the fact that I'm not good enough. I am not smart enough. I'm not powerful enough. I am not wealthy enough to rescue and save myself. I need a Savior. So that's the first thing, deny myself. Second thing, he says, carry your cross. Again, uh, a, a picture and an image that oftentimes gets twisted and distorted into things I don't think Jesus actually meant by the phrase. What does Jesus mean by this term, carry your cross daily? Um, 
oftentimes, and in fact, commonly, this is used to express the idea that, that the Christian life is one of embracing suffering. And certainly there's some of that that's true here. Jesus just got done saying, I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to be killed. And if you follow me, it's risky, right? You likely will encounter the same kind of persecution. And of course, in other places in Scripture, it affirms that, that following Jesus is not the safe route, uh, that it, it is risky, and there will be rejection, and it could even cost you your life. Um, but again, Christians have kind of taken this to its own twisted and distorted level uh, of this idea that the ultimate in Christianity is to be a martyr, right? And like, if you're really a good Christian, you will, you'll suffer a lot. And like, if nobody's torturing you, then it needs to be self-inflicted torture, right? If, uh, if, you, if you live in a free country, they're not throwing things at you, then you beat yourself, right? Is that really what Jesus had in mind here? Is he saying, the only way to follow me is through suffering? Well, I don't think that's quite what Jesus was saying. Certainly he's saying it may come, but the cross as it's depicted here probably means something slightly different. And remember, when we read this, when you read this phrase here, and, and it says, take it, your cross and carry it daily, what cross do you think of? Well, for me, I think of the cross of Christ, right? I think of Jesus dying and his death. Would they have thought of that? Well, no, because they still were not... For one, they, didn't, they, they, they still weren't accepting the fact that Jesus was, was going to die. They could not imagine Jesus dying on the cross, Right? For, for the twelve, at this point in, in the story, that would have been the last thing they would have thought of. Okay, maybe he'll be killed. Maybe you know, they'll shove him off a cliff. Maybe they'll stone him. It would have been just mind-boggling for them to think that Jesus was going to die on a cross. So they wouldn't have thought of that um, necessarily. Um, and, and notice what it also doesn't say. It doesn't say, uh, take up your cross and nail yourself to it. Right? Which, is, which is a significant difference. Getting nailed to a cross is different than carrying a cross. And it's hard for us to understand this because we, we don't live in this time period. But, but here's the picture. In, in modern days, in countries where they practice capital punishment, there are various ways that we would do that. Thankfully, nowhere does it anymore, I don't think, by a cross. Far too cruel and inhuman. Uh, but let's say an electric chair or uh, hanging or maybe getting shot, right? And in, in, in modern times, if, if you've been sentenced to death, um, do you carry your execution tool to the place of death? Like, in other words, have you ever seen a guy dragging the electric chair through the street? No, thankfully. Do you see a guy carrying you know, a bundle of rifles that are going to be used to shoot him with? No, right? We don't do that. But the Romans did, right? The Romans did. Well, why did they do that? Well, in that case, and, and it, was, it was true for every criminal, when you were sentenced in Roman courts, right, the, the idea was that you have been a rebel against Roman power and authority. Right? Whatever laws you've broken, whatever insurrection you've caused, you have been a rebel against Roman power and authority. And before we kill you, we're going to make sure everybody knows that you are now conquered. Right? That you are now under Roman power and authority. So the last act of your life, as you are walking to be crucified, to be killed, 
was to demonstrate your subjection to Roman rule. Right? Talk about hu- humiliation on top of humiliation. You're already sentenced to death, and now you have to carry this cross through the streets as a symbol of your subjection to Roman power and authority. And in Jesus' day, many of the people who were crucified were, were people trying to rebel, to incite insurrection against Rome. So what a humiliating thing, right, for Rome to say, yeah, who's in charge now, right? And, and you, in submission, carry your cross as a symbol of being conquered and under Rome, right? Well, I think Jesus is using the picture in that sense. He is saying, if you want to follow me, you need to come under new rule and authority. You need to be one who has been conquered by the rule and authority of God. You live before in rebellion against him, uh, trying to assert your own right of power and rule. But now you take up your cross and you daily, daily live in submission to God's will, power, and authority. Okay? Uh, but thankfully, we carry it daily. We never actually get nailed to it, right? Jesus died for us. Uh, we carry the cross as a symbol of his conquering us. We never have to go to the cross and actually die. Jesus did that for us. Okay, so we, we, we deny ourselves our, our way of, of salvation, and we take up our cross, uh, submitting ourselves to Christ's rule. Uh, then he goes on in another thing in verse 24. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? All right, so Jesus is talking here. Keep the picture. Stay focused. He's talking about what? Following him and following him to the place of salvation. All right, so the first thing he talks about, the first obstacle, the first thing that gets in the way of following him well and receiving the salvation he offers is our self, right? our self-rule, our pride, our, our refusal to be under uh, Christ's authority and power. Second thing, though, he talks about is our stuff. So first, our self. Secondly, our stuff. Right? He says, uh, he says if, if anyone... Uh, would save his own life. And really what it means by that, it would save by his own efforts his own life, right? He will lose it. Uh, but whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. And then he explains that verse with verse 25, right? So verse 25 is commentary on verse 24. And he says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What's all that mean? Well, it just means simply this. One of the things that will keep us from following Christ is our holding on to the stuff of the world. He says, what good is it if you gain the whole world? What good is it if you get everything you want in life, but at the end of the day, you lose your own soul? Have you really gained anything? And of course, the answer is clearly no. Right? Who would do that? Who would, who would forfeit their eternal soul for stuff. But he says that's exactly what people do. And the danger is this, that in, in the pursuit of Christ, as we, as we go to follow Christ, there is a temptation that we don't want to let go of the things in this world that give us security and comfort. Right? Our wealth, 
uh, relationships, uh, our lifestyle, where we live. How many times have you talked to somebody and shared Christ with somebody, and they've said, and this is very common in Thailand, they'll say to you, well, I would, you know, I think it's all true. I, I think I want to become a Christian, but I just can't because my family will reject me, right? And they're saying, the stuff in my life is more important than following Christ. Or they may say something like this. They would say, well, I would follow Christ, but I know if I got saved, I'd have to give up blank, whatever addiction or thing that they love in their life. And I just don't think I could do that, right? I would rather have that than, than Christ, right? And Jesus says, to do that is to jeopardize your eternal soul, right? Because if you refuse to let go of those things to follow Christ, in the end, you what? You lose your life, right? You lose your soul. You will be destroyed. Your life will be forfeit. Um, now, does this mean that we have to give up everything to be saved? Is Jesus saying here the only way to salvation is through total abject poverty? Well, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. In fact, uh, that could be a form of works, right? That could be a form of, well, I'm going to prove to God what a good person I am by becoming totally poor, and then God will have to save me, right? Uh, the point is this. What are you holding on to in your life that's keeping you from 100% following Christ, right? What is it in your life that stands between you and following Jesus all out, right? That's the thing you've got to let go of. That's the thing that will keep you from salvation. Um, third thing. Uh, so we got self, one of our biggest enemies, the stuff, the comfort, the things that the world tells us we must have to keep us safe and secure. Thirdly, he says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And I label this because it's an S, society, <laughs> social, right? You've got to have three S's, self-stuff and social, society. In other words, uh, the community that we live in and what they say about Christ, okay, what people think about us if we follow Jesus. Will we be ashamed of Christ and of his word? Uh, will we be embarrassed uh, if people find out we are Christians and we are followers of Christ. Um, shame exposes one to the ridicule of society. That's what shame is. Uh, being ashamed is our attempt to escape that shame by hiding or concealing it. Okay, th this, is the this is the life of every middle school student. Right? Um, Middle school is all about ridicule because by the time kids get to seventh grade, they have mastered and perfected the art of ridicule, right? And it's like their full-time vocation. And so they will find something to ridicule you about, right? And uh, some have more ammo than others, right, just naturally. But if it's your haircut, your glasses, your clothes, your just face in general, uh, your inability to play sports, uh, you know, the fact that you trip and fall down all the time, you know, totally uncoordinated, whatever it is. Um, your name, name like Dunham, you know, I was fair game with all kinds of stuff, right? They learn how to 
capitalize on those things, and you use those things to ridicule and torment each other. And being ashamed means I, 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 I start to feel shame about those qualities that they pick on, and we start doing things to uh, hide those traits, right? Uh, so the kid can't see, but he won't wear his glasses, right? The girl, you know, the parents make him wear a long skirt, but when they get halfway down the street, right, they roll it up. Uh, you, you hide, you, you, you disguise the things that they don't like, so you avoid the ridicule. But Jesus says, if you do that to me, if you're and, and, and trust me, if you follow me, there is shame, because the cross is not glorious, the cross is shameful. It's humiliating. And if people find out you are a follower of a God who sent his son to the cross, it is shameful. It is embarrassing, right? And it's a, a story that the world finds illogical and crazy, right? What God would do this? And so we start to hide that we're a follower of Christ. Or more likely in our modern world, we do this. We hide the parts of the story. We hide the parts of the gospel that are offensive. Right? So now the world doesn't like to hear about sin. Right? So all of a sudden we start proclaiming a message about how God's all love and God's like, like Santa Claus on steroids. Right? God's, not, God's not wrathful. God's not angry. You know, he loves you. And uh, God, God would never hurt a fly, right? And we hide the truth about sin and judgment and the cost of sin, right? Now, God is loving. I'm not saying he's not. But he's also a God of wrath. And uh, as Jesus says here, if you're ashamed of me, when I come in my glory and the glory of my Father, I will be ashamed of you. You know what that means? It means you are rejected, it means I will have nothing to do with you, and you will fall under God's judgment. Right? And the picture here, he talks. He says that when the Son of Man comes, that's in, in Luke, a, a description of Jesus coming in his second coming as judge. Who will judge sin? Uh, Jesus suffered the wrath of God. Okay, those are real truths about who God is. If we hide those truths and we shove them under the carpet, we are ashamed of them, we've lost the gospel. And Jesus says, when I come in my glory, I will be ashamed of you. Right? Uh, those things, what people think, can keep us from following Christ with our whole heart. Um, all right, so, so Jesus spells out here what it really means to follow him. Now, at this point, you should be thinking... Uh, or you might be thinking this. You might be thinking, well, you know, I thought salvation was all just about faith. And this sounds a lot like more than faith, like suffering, like self-denial, like, you know, worrying and thinking about what people say. Uh, aren't we saved by faith? And isn't it a matter of God's gracious working in our life? Uh, is Jesus teaching something different here? Well, I don't think so. And I think the point here is that Jesus is actually describing exactly what faith is. Uh, the problem is that oftentimes we reduce faith to mere mental assent, which means we turn faith into agreeing with God about a certain list of facts. 
you know, Jesus came. He was God. Yep, I believe that. I, I, I agree with God on that one. He went to the cross and he died. Yep, I agree with God on that one. And that through that death, he forgives our sins. Yep, I agree with God on that. Right? And we think that because we agree with God with those basic facts that we have faith. But that's really not what faith as it is in the New Testament is about. Right? Because following Christ is more, more than just agreeing with a set of facts. You can do that with math, right? I can agree with facts that 10 times 10 is 100, right? Yes. Just, just make sure you're checking, right? Uh, I can agree that that's a fact, and it really doesn't make any, any difference in my life, right? I can affirm that as true, but it may not change my life. But there's other kinds of truth that uh, you cannot be so passive about. For example... If you're sitting home one evening and you're watching TV and all of a sudden you smell smoke, you think, boy, it smells like something's burning. And you go exploring through your house and sure enough, you go upstairs and your whole, your whole upstairs of your house is on fire. Okay? We'll pretend you're not living in Thailand because here it's all concrete. It wouldn't burn. But you're in a house that could burn and your house is on fire. Uh, would you go back down and you know, sit back down and go, hey, the house is on fire. I know that's true. I'm going to finish watching TV. No, right? That's a fact. That's information. That's truth. It demands you do something. You better run. You better get out of your house. You better save your life. Well, trusting Jesus is like that. It is truth, but it's truth that demands action. And Jesus is saying, if you believe I am the Messiah, if you believe I am Savior, then what's required is not just that you check off and agree that I did these list of things, but you must follow me. You must come after me. You must chase after this Messiah. Uh, I am the way, and to be saved, you must go down that way. I am the door. To be saved, you must go through that door. Right? And Jesus is just explaining here what faith is. Faith is rejecting our own man-made attempts to save ourselves. It's taking up our cross, which means submitting our life and yielding to the authority and power of Christ over us in his work. It's following him. It's going where he, ta- he takes us. It's allowing him to do that work in our life. Um, it's letting go of self and stuff and what people think that would prevent us from stepping out in faith and taking act- action and following him. So how can we sum all that up? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? Uh, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him uh, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Um, What does that mean? Well, it it does not mean living like martyrs, right? Um, uh, And God may call you to that, right? God may call you to great suffering, God may even take your life, right? And certainly it does mean a willingness to lay down your life. But what it doesn't mean is this. It doesn't mean that the goal of Christianity is martyrdom. There's a difference, right? There's a willingness to be martyred versus martyrdom as the end goal, right? So here's a picture of it. One of the greatest examples of this, I I think, is the story of St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, St. Francis was a monk who lived a long, long time ago. Actually, he wasn't a monk. He was just a guy. He became a monk. Um, his father was a very wealthy textile merchant. 
And uh, as uh, Francis grew up, he grew up in a wealthy family where uh, money was no object, and he could have really been or done anything. But one day he gets this vision from God, and God tells him to rebuild the church. Um, Probably what God meant was to reform the church as a whole. Uh, Francis took it very literally, and he came to the first church he saw that was fallen down, and he decided to repair it. Uh, But the church needed money for repairs, so he took a bundle of his dad's expensive cloth and sold it and took the money to begin repairs on this little chapel. Well, his dad was not impressed. Um, His dad was a Christian, um, but he was first a business person. He took his son, Francis, and he threw him in jail, locked him up, uh, demanded the money back, and demanded that his son, you know, get real, right? And finally, it all came to a head in a court before a judge as his dad sues his son. And, and uh, Francis, in this great show of his repudiation of this, this materialism and this greed that was corrupting his father and the church, he took the shirt off his back and he threw it down before the judge and before his father. And he storms out of the church into the uh, midwinter, snowy ground, barefoot and mostly naked. And he took upon himself this vow that he would never own anything, right? that he would be for the rest of his life poor. Well, why did he do that? Well, because for him, he believed that what was getting in the way of following Christ, what was getting in the way of, of experiencing salvation was material wealth. And he said, I would rather have Jesus than even a shirt on my back. And of course, he did get clothes. He ended up with a brown robe and the the rope around their waist. And if you see a Franciscan monk, they still wear that same outfit today. Right? Um, but his thing was not being poor. His goal was getting Jesus. And he saw these things as roadblocks that kept him and was keeping others from really experiencing Christ. What was interesting about that whole story is, is Francis preached that and lived that out brilliantly his whole life. He never owned anything and even though people kept giving him stuff, he tried to get rid of it um, because he wanted the focus of his life to be Christ alone. But by the end of his life, the next generation of, of disciples came up under him and it be, began the order of Franciscan monks. And by the end of his life, to be Franciscan did not mean to be pursuing Christ. It meant to be what? Poor, right? Poverty was now the goal. And they wore their brown robes as a as a badge of pride that said, look at me, how wonderful I am because I am poor. And I have achieved something the rest of you losers haven't because I am the real deal because I am poor. But it wasn't about seeking Christ anymore. It wasn't about getting more of Jesus. It became about being poor. Well, how, how often do we do that in our Christian life, right? We deny ourselves, we, we take up our cross, we suffer, we go through hardship because we've made that the goal instead of Jesus, right? Instead of Jesus. And Jesus would say, that is a, a self-work you need to deny. And he would say to the Franciscans, you need to deny this whole poverty thing, right? Because it's, it's your own effort at goodness, Right? You need to go out and get a job and get a life, right? Make some money and, you know, seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. Because that's what it's about. And that's what he's talking about here. 
Jim Elliott said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he can never lose. Here's the deal. If you are following Jesus, and you get this, that it's about getting more of Christ. It's about following him without any obstacle, without anything in our way, so that we can be fully walking with Christ. Then we know that what we give up or what we lose is small and insignificant compared to what we gain. If if somebody's walking around with this huge martyr complex, who's going on and on about how horrible and wretched their life is, and and it's become for them a badge, you need to get a life. You need to get a job, and you need to quit suffering and complaining because you're missing the point. The point is Jesus. And Jesus is a prize so much greater that for those who have found him, the sacrifice is nothing. Is nothing, right? It's a joy. And we, we don't see those things actually as a sacrifice. We see those things as things that we gladly get rid of so that we can pursue and follow Christ. Because he is the thing that we gain that is so much greater. Uh, Jesus ends the passage this way. He says, I tell you the truth. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. We're going to talk more about this next week, about what that means. But um, it, it certainly points to the next scene in the story, which is the transfiguration. But more than that, it really reminds us that the journey is hard, but the final destination is glorious. Right? There may be suffering on the way, but what we're after is Christ and his glory and his glorious kingdom. That's the goal, right? Um, I would picture it this way, and Jesus doesn't use this image here, but I I think it fits. Um, It's the picture of a sheep and a shepherd, right? Uh, In Israel, in Palestine, there's not a lot of pasture. And so the shepherd needs to take the sheep from the holding pens where they keep them safe at night from animals and attack. And then they'll take them through the desert to pasture, right? Uh, and and the the reward is you get to eat, and if you eat, you get to live, right? If you don't eat, you starve to death, right? If you don't drink, you die of thirst. Um, but there are lush pastors out there, but to get there, you've got to follow the shepherd. Now, what would it be like if the sheep said one day, oh, man, it's just, it's just too hot. You know, I'm going to stay here because there's this nice rock. I'm under the shade here. You know, shepherd, you go. I'm good, right? I'm good. What would that mean for the sheep? Well, ultimately, death, right? Or the sheep could say, I'm not following no stupid shepherd. How do I know this guy knows where he's going? I know the way. I'm going to find my own way, right? And he goes off and he does not follow the shepherd. He goes his own way to find pasture. And what happens? Well, he gets eaten by a wolf or he falls down a cliff. He dies, right? The sheep must trust the shepherd and must know that... where the shepherd is taking you is a good place, right? And, and Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you're going to come after me, you've got to trust me that I am taking you to a good place. But know that there's going to be some bumps on the road, and you're going to have to let go of some things. You may have to let go of some things that are very precious and dear to you. But what you gain is infinitely better, right? Right? infinitely better.
what is keeping you from following Christ all out? Right? What is keeping you from really trusting and pursuing Jesus with every fiber of your being? First and foremost, do you really believe that Jesus is the greatest prize you can ever get? Right? Do you really believe that there's nothing in the universe better than following and knowing him? Right? If we don't believe that, um, you won't pursue him. If you believe that, what is keeping you from following him? What in yourself is keeping you from really following him? Are you, uh, and is your life all about self-made good works, right? Are you inflicting on yourself all kinds of crosses and suffering that Jesus is not asking you to bear? Because you really feel like if you're just depressed and miserable and suffering a lot, that Jesus is going to somehow love you more, Right? He's not, right? Because that's not the basis of his love. Um, what, what is the stuff in your life you're holding on to that is keeping you from really following Jesus? Right? That's keeping you from surrendering to his will and subjecting your life fully to whatever he has for your life, knowing what he has is better. Um, what do you do with public opinion? Uh, are you willing to proclaim the whole gospel even though you know people will laugh at you and ridicule you? Or are you twisting it to make it less offensive? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.